I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome, my guests, Kimberly and Belle. The amazing Kimberly joined me for this week's episode to share her self-love, acceptance, and healing journey. Kimberly is a survivor of a difficult childhood who has embraced her story and found her self-worth. She courageously faced her past and embarks on a journey of self-discovery to break the cycle of toxic relationships and reclaim her dignity. So let's enjoy her story. Welcome, Kimberly. I am very happy and excited that you're here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's about time we get to get together. Yes. Yes. And Kimberly, I know that you have a story that you want to share. Can you tell me why you want to share a story? Well, I really feel the calling is so profound that we have to be courageous enough to know that when we went through so many things or things that was such an obstacle that wanted us to, that we felt, especially as women, to give up, to not have hope to feel like just throwing a towel, our life is just going to be a certain way and that's it. To be able to inspire someone else has always been my ultimate calling and goal was like, I know some stories have to be much more worse than mine, but for my particular life and the journey, I wanted to never let it go void without inspiring someone else that this, this was my journey. This was my personal journey. I haven't been able to live through it, to tell it, then I wouldn't be able to have hope in someone else because we're all still in this world together, traveling a certain journey. And sometimes we're in different seasons in our life, but at least we got each other to be an example. That's wonderful, Kimberly. And it's true. Sharing stories is very helpful to others. Yes. Because we know that we are not alone when whatever happens. I mean, doesn't necessarily... Somebody has to have the same issue or same story as you, but one piece of of it could have relate to someone. Right. Yes. Right. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. And so, Kimberly, when does your story start? Well, I mean, I had to really accept my foundation. So pretty much my story starts at five of having such a, a transition, such a traumatic experience of being abandoned by both biological parents and separated from my sister, not ever being reunited with them. That broken foundation of feeling from the very beginning who was responsible, who was supposed to protect me, who was supposed to love me, who was supposed to keep me, left me with an overwhelming sense of failure, disappointment that um, I struggled with of not wanting to feel disappointed or feeling abandoned or feeling accepted in my life. So it pretty much starts there. Yeah. (laughs) And so I had to accept those broken pieces and those broken fragments and to know that my life did not have to stay that way, filled with anxiety, filled with unrealistic expectations. It sounds like a difficult time for a five-year-old you. Mm-hmm. 
And so what happened? Your parents left you, abandoned you, got separated from your sister. And then what happened? So I had to get used to, even though my biological father dropped me off to his biological oldest sister, she was my paternal aunt, but I I didn't know them well enough to know that I've stayed overnight with them. They were still pretty much strangers, but I knew that they were family. So it was like from um, day and night, it was going from seeing physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse, and just a coldness with my biological mother from years all the way up that I remember leaving to a very spiritual home, a very well-loved home that I was their only child. I was a child around adults. (laughs) And um, like I said, it was very spiritual. They showed me more structure and stability. I seen them work together as a team. They were much older. So they were in that generational era where it was uh, very strict, but um, very solid. Mind you, the two traumatic experience of seeing one of the worst physical altercation that led into me being dropped off because it was blood on my mom's face, my biological mom's face, like it was one of the worst physical altercation that I witnessed. And it did not, it wasn't like a gap. It was right after that physical altercation, boom, I was at someone's house while my dad said he was going to come back and get me. And that never happened. I shut down, even though it was from day and night with the transition, I just totally mentally and far as the words that I wanted to say vocally, I just shut down. I felt like who would possibly care at this point? Nobody said anything to me. What was said to me always turned out to either be a lie or not true. (laughs) So yes, it couldn't have been easy. You had a difficult childhood with your biological parents, but when you moved to your father's sister, it was more stable and more loving, but you still were shut down. Yes, because I was old enough to ultimately be confused about what love was. I knew I loved my biological parents. So how could they love me if they did what they did? Then I'm reaching, then I'm I'm living with parents that is pouring all their love to me and not understanding because they wasn't trained at that time in that year in the 70s. Not a whole lot of resources were available of getting children from other parents. They were kind of winging it, doing the best they can with a very dominant spiritual component by them of we're going to pray about everything. You know, we're going to pray about everything. We're going to see God's face. We're going to trust him. And that was pretty much my foundation with them. And I'm glad because I do have that spiritual foundation, but I also know and I have advocated there's resources that helps went past the taboo and um, seek my own help when I got to be an adult and I kept seeing the choices that I was making based on broken foundation that was not healthy, that was not good, that repeated cycles of being in toxic relationships and not knowing my self-worth that I just said, I'll never forget, I, I reached out in my early 30s to the first mental therapist. Very smart to kind of realize the situation and also knowing what's what's happening to you and then reach for help that not everybody has that power or to go against the taboo or our generational beliefs 
even with my educator suggesting to my parents um, when I was in elementary to have me seen, to have me, you know, talk to someone other than my, you know, medical provider. And they were like, no, we, we trust God. <laughs> There's nothing that our God wouldn't do, which that, you know, part of that is true. But I found that he, as we talked about earlier, God puts other people in place and resources and services to also assist the, you know, the faith. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. You reach out for support and then what happened? It was enlightening, but I do know it was the third marriage that really took me into a mental status whirlwind. And I hadn't dealt with my, my adoptive father's past. You know, I didn't know how to grieve. All I knew how to do was survive the best way I could with all, all the challenges that I went through when I was small. All I knew was just to do the best I could to survive the, the way I could. And whether that was someone that from anywhere that said, you're, you could be a good wife or you, you know, I, I just love your smile or I love you not knowing myself or how they're going to treat me not knowing my self-worth, just being like, okay, so they accept me. So obviously they're for me and ended up not being that way. That third marriage that did not work, getting out of that and the way he retaliated of um, almost like trying to destroy my name, trying to destroy my character, wanting making me just kind of hide into getting to hibernation in, in my hometown, of not wanting to be seen. But I remember before I I was going to get totally a meltdown. I went to the library and by that time at our local library, it was um, signs on the door and there was her name saying mental health therapist and the phone number. And I just started bawling and I called and I set up an appointment and that appointment helped me, really helped me transition to live through that divorce because every divorce is like death, <laughs> regardless of who is the responsible. And I remember her on um, the first session having me go all the way back from the beginning, like I'm sharing with you. And this was the very first person that said to me, and I just broke down like a baby. And so it's power in words and it's power in inspiring and encouraging one another. But she said to me, and I will never forget, was that I'm sorry that you went through what you went through. Yeah. And I never had no one apologize to me. Wow, that's powerful. How do you feel at that moment when you were always thinking you were a survivor and suddenly here is somebody saying, I'm sorry for what happened to you? How was that moment? Right. Yeah, I, I broke down like a baby because you're right. I was doing this cat race of life of surviving that I never really internalized that I had really went through <laughs> the things that I went through and how damaged, how it broke, how, like I was saying before, the foundation was broke. Yes. And isn't that interesting that we can actually still think that our story is not as bad? Yeah, I did. And, and then you go through life. I still stayed in my hometown. It didn't help with people putting a blind eye to it. Oh, well, it, was, it wasn't like you were starved or you was beaten to death when you went to the other home. So you should kind of be happy. And what do you really have to be sad about? That didn't help. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you still go through. 
And I had to accept all that. I had to accept no matter what people would say, you have a right, Kim, you have a right to hurt and to feel the pain, to feel the loss, to analyze, to to know that your story was a story, a, a real life story that had you feeling this way, had you thinking this way, having you feeling that you were responsible, had you feeling like you wasn't worth being loved, you felt injustice, you had a right. I had to like really kind of meditate and and talk to myself because I was going through so much at, like you said, at such a fast pace of survival mode that I wasn't taking it in that those events were part of my life that needed to be recognized. And this is how I got that accept and embrace it all that had to be accepted first with me, regardless of what people said. I had to accept that uh, I have a sad story. I had to accept that I was not responsible for adults' decisions that they made at five years Mm -hmm. old. Interesting. Yes. This is only step one from the healing process. So you recognize that. And I'm sure that even now, at times, you kind of brush it off when it comes to you and say, oh, yeah, that was a sad story. And you're like, oh, no, that's okay. Yeah. And now I'm more free and more liberated of what other people may think about my story, where at first, even my marriages that I went through, four of them, it was very embarrassing. And it hurt my feelings when some family members were like, dear God, don't get married again, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But but now because I have accepted and I have took uh, the findings of myself and comfortable with my own story and the courageous move that I made, I, I could care less. I, I said one of my dear God sisters, bless her heart, this wasn't by any means of her hurting me. She said, you remind me of Elizabeth Taylor. So I tell her, I said, I'm the black, beautiful Elizabeth Taylor. I'm going to be that Elizabeth Taylor. I'm not, I'm not going to marry none of my exes back, but I'm going to keep on going until I get happiness. So we make a joke about that. But yeah, it used to crush me, crush my world, make me get into depression because it, it ultimately I was pr- pretty much living for people, living up to their expectation, living up to what they thought, living up to how they felt about my story how I should carry on, even do bits and pieces that they know about my story until I started being free and liberated and said, hell, what would they say? Or what they think? I'm alive and I'm real. And I have the same freaking emotions that they do. And everybody doesn't take pain and hurt and disappointments the same way. I started embracing and encouraging just how I'm created. Wonderful. Circling back to you seeing that sign and going to reach out for help. So that's one when she she says sorry about what happened to you. So what was the next healing step? We We talked about pretty much that foundation and we had to really work on and I'll never forget because I, I continued the pattern of to- toxic relationship, but she really helped me to work on the abandonment from my mother. The disconnection from my mother was so hurtful because see, I'm, I'm a girl and I'm a child and not feeling accepted or even with my dad being the primary one that took me and dropped me off. And what he said, that hurt didn't compare, didn't take a stand to that disconnection from my mother. Because years, I wanted her love. 
And I knew that she did not. Yeah. From, from little, from always, from five years old, I, she did hurtful things that I can recall. I don't recall any sensitive kindness. And I was, and I'm, I'm definitely different as far as I'm one of the kindest person ever. How I ended up that way of being graded, but she was not kind to me. And I could feel even when she would do my hair, it was almost like a resentment. But as a child, I couldn't figure out why. And it weighed on me for years of what could I have done to earn or to get her love and her acceptance. So we we had to work on that. And she had to actually let me know I was normal because I thought, am I crazy for feeling this way? She was like, no, honey, this this is a normal, this is a normal feeling. This is a normal emotions for you as a child, feeling the disconnection from your mother. So she did help you a lot. Yes. And you were getting out of toxic relationships. So yeah, I still continued until I had the breaking point with that. I was going to continue to be in toxic relationship until I found me, until I chose me and found that I was worthy to have love, to have peace, to have joy, to have happiness. And it started with me. I had to get it. And I said, if I don't get that, I'm going to continue to keep the pattern of toxic relationship because I'm looking for it from other people. I'm not getting it from me and the inside. I'm not taking the time to just love me and to choose me. I've, I've chose my kids for years, long as they're happy, as long as they see a mom and dad in the home. I've chose other people and whatever I could be used or drained to make their life successful, to make them a thrive, even down to some of them had children to make sure that I gave the best of me from both to them and their children without consciously realizing I need to be poured back into. I matter to have the same reciprocated love that I'm giving. And honestly, until I found that and until I took a stand on that and was determined to get that, the toxic relationships, the pattern stopped. What, what is it that you do exactly? I accepted me. I first accepted me and found my self-worth and chose me. I work on this every day. I choose me every day. I, I'm very spiritual. So I build the communication with God every day. It, and it's, it's not structured. It's not how I was raised, like prostrate. It's in the car. I talk to him and I ask for wisdom and, and knowledge and strength <laughs> through the day because I have now four adult children and one minor. I, I rely on his strength. I rely on that relationship building. I put a quote on my website about change. I said, you can't get a same day. Even if you pray hard for it, it's always a change. And that's just like our body. It's just like life. Changes come. So, you know, I ask and evaluate myself of how I'm determined of how I can deal with those changes. Mm -hmm. Deal with them responsibly where I am still putting me in the forefront. Because if I lose me again, everything else is going to fail. I I can't afford to lose me again. And this is where I got to a point. I had to recognize and see myself and through all those relationships, I had lost myself. I had lost myself and wasn't wasn't really trying to be found. I, I just was taking life as it came. If I start feeling the triggers that's unsettling or someone's bringing me 
disturbing my peace, I quickly do something about it. I, I can't be a part of it. That, that sounds really good. It's true. Can I safely assume that when this happens, then if you had your kids before, then you change as a mom as well? Yes. Yes. They are getting the best of Kimberly. Isn't that amazing? They're getting the best of Kimberly. The four adults ones have never seen me in this season. And they're so proud. I wouldn't be able to give them the best of me if I hadn't chose me first. But so this is all recent. Yeah, this has been within the year and a half. Yes. Yeah, oh, right. Wow. Now, I've I've been through some stages, what we just talked about earlier, about the accepting a brace of analyzing and really getting that, that finding me. And, and it's process work. I never fail to tell anyone, if this is something that you want, you work at it. Work without faith is dead. You work to get the results. Mm-hmm. If they could see a picture of the smile on my face and the glow, it's work. I put in the work. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I put in the work. Never want to see myself being lost again. I- and feeling I'm not worth to be loved or give love the way God created it. And Kimberly, have you seen your biological parents at all? Well, my biological father, he passed away probably 11 or 12 years ago. He did call to meet with every last one of his children. I was the one included. I did have a one-on-one talk with him and I was able to express how I felt. He did apologize. So I'm so glad that before he passed away, we did get a conversation in. My biological mother is still living and we, we do not have a relationship. I have kept my heart open. I have tried. I have settled with peace that this is just something that she doesn't want. And there are other siblings from her? Yes, yes, it is. And you connect with those siblings? Not all of them. My oldest sister is two years older than me. That's the only one that pretty much was in the household before I got, yeah. Mm -hmm. You reconnected with her? Uh, Yeah, we're connected as much as we can be. You know, we were a short, short change of growing up together. We talk, uh, you know, and any things that come up, you know, she accepts my, my, all my kids as her nieces and, you know, nephew, opposite from our mother. Everyone has to be responsible for their own choices. I just know I'm able to deal with it. I have been freed and liberated that I'm able to deal with her choice. And at one time, I could not honestly say that I could. It was so hurtful. I still want it. I yearned. And if I could buy the love, I would. That was just just my mentality. If I could buy her love, I would. If I could have done anything to get her acceptance, I would. Tell that healing, that healing process, and then accept and embrace it all, and that book and releasing the pain. And then we talked about before recognizing my truth and that I had to love myself more than I love her. That's how I can deal with your choices. I'm sure your parents also came from a difficult childhood and they also have their trauma and that's why they behave like such. Probably, yes. You never learned how your grandparents were. No, just bits and pieces that of her upbringing. She stayed in the household with her mom and dad, but there were some challenges, some bits and pieces. But I do know they were with their their biological parents raised until they passed away. Yeah. You mentioned a book. You have written a book. I did. (laughs) I did. Yes. And when did this happen? 
This was during COVID 2021. It's so crazy because bits and pieces of it, people would say that knew my life, knew my educational challenges and um, academic issues and, and some other broken foundations that I haven't said about, but they got to read the book. They would say, oh my gosh, your life is like a story. <laughs> so much. And I just kept this yearning and something just, just as I'm talking to you said, you're going to take this opportunity now or never. It's not going to come back. And when I heard that, I said, oh my gracious, I better do something about this. So I started getting my pen and my paper and I had a lot of scraps and everything, but I started writing. As I started writing, I kept praying and things was just starting to come to me. Like the title, the epitome came from, I love listening to that songs. One of the lyrics said epitome and I'm Googling and I'm like, oh my God, the epitome is the essence perfect. And so the Kimmy came from my adopted dad used to call me and he was pretty much my first protector because I knew that he loved me. It grew on me, but I I knew that he loved me. I got that the epitome of Kimmy. As I kept writing, I got the accept and embrace it all. And that's exactly how I lived every chapter by accepting and embrace it all. So yeah, so that's the title of the book, The Epitome of Kimmy, the little brown skinned little girl on there. And that came out with just that was the only picture that I had, the first picture. I have no baby pictures. I have no pictures with me and my biological sister. I have no pictures of me and my biological parents. The first initial picture that I ever had in my possession that I saw was that on my book. So, yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. And the book is all about your story. Yes, it's a memoir. Yeah, from the beginning to pretty much recent. And yeah. so how long did it take you to uh, to write the book? It took me during COVID. It's, it's been out for a year now. So okay. through four or five months of COVID, the initial COVID happened. Yeah. And you always like to write? I mean, it's not easy to go ahead and start. No, I, I, I kind of like the journal. I would find myself, even when I was young, in my first marriage and having my child, I would write in in a planner or in a journal, but not well enough to write a book. But like I said, it was just so many, so many warnings that I had throughout my throughout my life, and I, I was able to go from working in the public sector with youth at risk youth to the mental health, mental illness people that are struggling with mental illness, I was able to, during some certain of those times of working, share, you know, a little bit of my hope, you know, a little bit of my, of the things that I went through, just felt compelled. And it was pretty much overwhelming feeling that my bits and pieces was run out. I really needed to share my whole story. Let me tell you, I had courageous moves by leaving toxic relationships, sometimes leaving everything. <laughs> And just clothes on my back. But this one was one of the, I, I put that before that. I put that on the top one because I'm still living in my hometown. And I, I really say that that was one of the courageous moves I have ever made was to not just write my whole truth and my journey, but to, to publish it and to inspire to the world. You self-published? I did. 
I did. I, I had some help, but yeah, I had, uh, and he's still with me now, you know, doing my uh, behind the scenes promoting and everything like that. He helped, he built the website, but yeah, he helped me self-published and the people just fell right in place, just like the words on my book. Once I agreed and said I was going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing what that happens. It's, it's similar to to my podcast. When I started, it's about stories and it has to be because everyone has a story. It came to me and I, I just thought that's yeah, it. Yeah. So yes, yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. What else are you planning for yourself? I'm still a, a case manager support planner that I, I help families navigate resources and monitor their services. I, I love doing what I do. I'm also working on my clinicals for a counselor and methadone clinic. I, I just feel I'm put on this earth to serve, to serve people. <laughs> you know? So I want to be as knowledgeable as I can and, and continue. I, I do have a mentoring program I'm trying to keep revamping so that I could be an even more of a blessing to someone that's seeking a mentor. And Kimberly, since we are talking today and we know this wonderful Kimberly that is <laughs> right in front of me, would it be anything that you would like to change or would have changed? from your life since everything that has happened to you or happened for you has made you this wonderful woman? Not at all. Not at all. Nothing I could think of. Yeah. I, I wouldn't know how to love and how to define the joy if joy had never been lost. <laughs> but I believe we all go through, have that person that we were created to excel and to thrive and to be one of the best creations that God had created. Yeah. We have to go through, have to go through Wonderful. <laughs> some challenges. We got to remember we're here on earth for each other. So I just, you know, I'm so compelled to say to anyone, your story is your truth. Be courageous enough to inspire someone because they, one one sentence and one word could ultimately change someone's life. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Change it in so many ways. Some people take action, and some people learned just by listening. For example, with me, I, I don't. I have gone through what you have gone through. I have my own stories too. They make me even more compassionate and understanding your world and any other person. So I think that's a gift as well. And you said the key word, and I was just researching that last night about my thing that me and my minor just went through. We just lost our father last week. Oh my God. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you so much. I was researching before I went to bed and I was just thinking about just that key word that you were saying about compassion, how the world needs more compassion. To have compassion because a child that's six years old has lost her father. That's something that that's altered her life forever. You just struck me with that key word that I had been praying and I've been looking at just experiencing the lack of humanity for us as compassion goes. And it's terrible. Yes. And I feel like you can only grow compassion by listening to other people's stories. Yes, you're right. And there's a difference, different from sympathetic to em empathetic. How can you grow with those characters you said if you don't listen you have to have something equipped in you to listen and have that empathy and compassion for people those stories yeah but I also think that there is a need for for those people who have issues to also try to get better Exactly. There's a big difference with that. When I used to do DUI counseling, I remember saying them, help me help you. I can't do this by myself. Can't make anyone do anything. Yes. Yes, that's true. 
Thank you so much, Kimberly, for sharing your story. It has been beautiful. Thank you. So many things have happened and you continue becoming <laughs> a more incredible woman. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it today's episode. I am Daniela and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This would allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto. Thank you.